I think while I was playing with that lighter, I might have burnt some of my hair. It smells like I burnt some hair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Eternia Review. My name is Ben. And I'm Truman. We are watching us some He-Man. This week, we're back on Masters of the Universe Revelation. With episode two, The Poisoned Chalice. <laughs> poison involved yeah i'm imagining our theme song now (laughs) yeah i don't think there was any poison involved since this he-man somehow actually has a storyline do you want to do a like previously on recap uh yeah sure previously on masters of the universe revelations uh things happened uh (laughs) we found ourselves back on eternia tila was about to become the next man at arms and then Things happened. Skeletor did a thing. He-Man disappeared. Uh, things happened. That was my bad recap. I'll be better next time. Really like a great paying homage <laughs> to the thoughtful writing that they've put into He-Man Revelations. Oh, uh, yeah. The biggest takeaway, I think, from last, uh, last time was Skeletor unearths the magic secrets of Castle Grayskull which we found out were literally just secret knowledge, unspecified. He-Man has to contain the magic secrets because they're going to explode and blow everybody up and sacrifices himself at the end by double transforming into He-Man again, sucks up the excess power somehow, and then he and Skeletor disappear off of the face of Eternia. Uh, It sucks up the power that splits the power sword into two, and then they disappear into the magical ether of the universe. And then Tila finds out that Prince Adam was He-Man all along and is pissed and leaves the palace. Yeah, she's super salty. So we pick up this week. Uh, no sweet 80s intro. Just a really short little bumper at the beginning of the episode, which I was sad about. I mean, I'm sure Netflix is assuming that people are binging this because it's a Netflix show. Anyway, in He-Man, we open on two masked and cloaked figures who are entering a rotting cave and poking around with what looks like a techno-sensor device. It apparently really smells in there. Uh, One of them keeps commenting on it. One of them unearths a silver bracer, and then suddenly Stinkor erupts from the pile of garbage. I know who that is now because we watched the documentary. So Stinkor famously, the toy that Mattel made literally stink like a scratch and sniff. Scratch and sniff toy that looked just like a palette swatch merman to be a skunk. Stinkor does not play very much of a role in this episode. They fight for a little bit. One of the mercs, as Stinkor calls them, wields a baton and smashes Stinkor out of what turns out to be a cabin, like in the middle of a town. Uh, he gets shoved out into like the village and there's like animal villagers out there. The thing about that, so this is kind of a new thing, like the, uh, and it seems like most of the peasants we've seen so far, at, at, later in this episode, there's a human peasant, but most of like the peasant tree has been animal people. And at least, at the very least, all the like ruling elite 
seem to be humans, which like the animal people did not exist or didn't really. I guess they did. You only ever saw the animal people in in the '83 cartoon when they were one of He-Man's like associates. You know, like Lizard Man or any of Skeletor's buddies. I guess not really. No, it's just Lizard Man. There was Lizard Man, and then the evil counterpart Snake Man or something—the one that got left back in time. So the part, I guess there's, there's very few animal people. And now whenever you see a crowd shot, it's just animal people. It's been two episodes, but we've seen big crowds of like the city, right? And it's a bunch of animal people, like people with two legs and two arms that have animal heads. And now we've got animal people and it's the peasantry in this little village. So you mentioned that the humans are the ruling class, King Randor, Queen Marlena, Tila, Duncan, Prince Adam. Yeah. That sort of checks out. The guards, I think, are humans. The palace guards. So, is there a is this like a classism thing? I'm thinking so. It's until I see uh, animal person in a role other than peasant, that's pretty clear cut right there. Yeah, but the mercs unmask, and one of them is Tila. Who could have seen that happening? Signature baton move. So, do they? Uh, they take it back to some priestess lady who monologues about being grateful about having it back. It's the glove of globula. Yeah. That's the name of it. The heck <laughs> the globula. Yeah. It feels like in a show like revelations where they've got 10 episodes to do callbacks to the original cartoon and the new adventures of He-Man in space. I guess every proper noun that they reference should probably be a reference to something that was important in the show, but yeah, we have not seen the glove of globula yet. And it seems like, yeah, it was just from this show glove of globula. Very weird name. Well, the priestess is putting her way, her weird gauntlet thing. Tila goes on a little mini rant about how tech is like way more reliable and better than magic and that you shouldn't rely on magic anymore because technology is more better the priestess does note that artifacts like the glove of globula are at a premium because magic has left eternia she says do you think when uh, he-man did the big boom that it took all the magic out it seems like something along those lines they had technology in masters of the universe 83 but it was not quite as prevalent, I guess, as it seems to be even at the beginning of this episode. I mean, uh, half of the episodes we watched, Man at Arms had some tech demo, some new gizmo he you know came up with, right? Which I guess weren't necessarily useful, but that's half of I mean, <laughs> most things. But I mean, magic and science like that balance is like a big part of and has been, you know, there's the old magic and science balance that Oh, uh, what's his face from uh, the math dimension, the dark dimension <laughs> uh, showed up and like messed up the balance of magic and science, like literally. Yeah, too much magic. Not enough science or something. Yeah. And then like the episode where Orko went back or where they went back in time and Orko's magic was better, but then men at arms science wouldn't work. His tech wouldn't work. So this is like a, a thing. Yep. Like this tech versus magic. Because it's uh, that kind of world where it's sci-fi fantasy. 
slam together with Conan the Barbarian. We'll have the opportunity to talk about the technology in New Revelations in much greater depth uh, here coming up shortly. In the meantime, Tila introduces Andra. Uh, do you think they're an item? Oh, I don't know. At first blush, I mean, there's no real. They don't. There's nothing explicit, but I they get a little bit of a vibe, but not like nothing heavy. We'll have to watch. I did not get anything explicit either. That might be just me reading into it because nerds on the internet are angry about it. So I'm assuming there's a lesbian somewhere. They already have the primary protagonist is Tila, and then Andra is a black woman. So I'm sure that this episode especially has sent people just over the edge. Yeah. While Tila is introducing Andra, who's the brains of their partnership, Tila is the brawn. A mysterious figure, Majestra, announces herself. Off the bat, it's Evil Lynn. Like, <laughs> she shows up and it's like, that is Evil Lynn. That's Evil Lynn. She's wearing a purple cape. Looks just like one of her disguises before, not just like, but like a, you know, the updated version of it. Like, that's Evil Lynn. It is definitely a Revelations updated version of the, oh shoot, what was that episode called? A Voice in the Crowd is Stronger Than Any Storm. It's one that has a pretty benign name, uh, kind of buries the lead on the black goo that they throw against a building and slowly engulfs and suffocates the occupants, creeping Horak part of that episode. Uh... I don't know. It's the Curse of the Spellstone. Curse of the Spellstone. So, yeah, mysterious figure, Majestra, who's hanging out by the wall. Totally uh, updated version of the Evelyn old crone disguise. Looks like an old lady, but in Evelyn colors. Uh, she asked them to go on a quest for her to retrieve an artifact from a very dangerous place. Uh, some chalice or something that's some belong to her best friend like she goes on this little like mini sad monologue about how this chalice belonged to this person who's very important to her now he's gone yeah just in case he didn't get the hint and then they really bring it home tila and andra have to go to snake mountain it's worth noting i guess that tila wasn't i mean she was interested in it but when evelyn or not evelyn <laughs> when evelyn mentioned snake mountains where she got to get it from she was much more into it she's like oh yeah now i gotta go do that which i don't i don't really understand this is later in the episode she's upset about going back to that sort of life she doesn't want to be any part of it wants to leave that all behind but here in the beginning she adamantly wants to go back to snake mountain so tila has presumably left the palace has picked up a friendship with Andra and a life as a mercenary. They don't specify how long it's been since Prince Adam died or disappeared. What's going on in Tila's head? She's been not really, but, but betrayed, right? No one has trusted her with a really vital piece of information, which we've talked about before is how like of all the people in Eternia to not trust with the secret, Evelyn, Evelyn. Tila <laughs> is the most capable person of the team, even beyond He-Man, right? She is smarter than all of them. She's better at a lot of other stuff, but she's a better, I don't know. She's better than all of them. And she knows it. She's yeah. very arrogant about it. 
they play up in the show a little bit, but she probably feels betrayed that she doesn't trust. So it's like kind of shocked to your core. Like, am I not as good as I think I am because no one trusted me with this? Also, the amount of secrets that she probably was aware that people were keeping from her while, you know, in the previous years up to this, she's finally sick of it, you know? Because I'm sure there's times where it's like man-at-arms tell her she doesn't need to know or sorcerer says you don't need to know or He-Man doesn't like, they're not upfront with anything. So either she like subconsciously picked it up and thought she should have noticed or realized it sooner and just can't be around any of it or she had absolutely no idea and can't be around it because she is utterly betrayed by everything. So is going back to Snake Mountain a chance to get some closure regain some confidence by it's sort of defeating her past i guess and doing it without the help of he-man or any of the other friends of grayskull or whatever they call themselves they do say something weird in the opening credits it's like the other associates of power or something <laughs> like that i guess it's a, a group of lawyers in a building together <laughs> So that's that's interesting to think about her going back without the help of He-Man because the next scene is a flashback to the last time that she was at Snake Mountain or a time in the past that she was at Snake Mountain, I guess. And she is climbing up the mountain to stop Skeletor from doing something. She scales the arm of a weird tentacle monster and then is about to get attacked and he-man punches a bad guy and saves her you know right before or something then they team up and like get into the mountain or something but it it does playing against what you were putting forward about tila's state going back to snake mountain to prove something to herself about her competence in the face of yeah having that shaken Mm -hmm. which they touch on later too uh, and then kind of showing how it used to be with He-Man. I think that lends credence to the, to that theory. And I mean, they do like a one-to-one with how they're getting into Snake Mountain now with how she got into Snake Mountain then. Just all of the stuff that they flash back to like shows up and she's like, I remember this. I remember this being here. I remember this being there. Like the, they show up back to Snake Mountain and it's got this huge... Okay, so this is in the present with Andrew and Tila. When they show up to Snake Mountain and it has the big techno gate now like it's locked out with lasers probably some sort of laser bars or something (laughs) uh it's all shiny and chrome now there's like a smaller little laser gate thing i don't know what's going on but it's all technoed out and looks much harder to get into it's in the same spot she was at in the flashback and she uses the knowledge that she had from the flashback to get in now by finding like a trap door where there was a booby trap hopping down onto a net and then digging over. Tila makes a a pretty shaky observation at this point, which is that the, so this is the wolf gate, which I don't know if that's a term we ever heard before. I don't remember it. It is protected heavily by, yeah, like science lasers. There's a pressure gate. It's going to explode if you mess with it. Tila says, this area is so highly guarded that it's the area that they won't be monitoring. So they won't expect us to come in this way because it is so well defended. And that seems to be the opposite of what I would expect. Yeah, so this is the most secure one. So it will have the least cameras on it? No. 
if you are the owner of Snake Mountain and you're spending just billions of attorney and silver on the laser gate, are you going to balk at like the $10, $10 cameras? No, absolutely not. But yeah, she does use her past knowledge and they dig under it instead. Which, as a person who digs holes for a living, I doubt that they could dig over into a mountain in any sort of timely fashion at all. Sure, but are the tools that you use forged by the master artisan Duncan? Mm, no, uh, but they're actually shaped like shovels. <laughs> 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 yeah so tila turns to andra and says oh we're going through here and then like presses a button on her bow staff and these like two dinky little blades pop out and that's the thing that they're going to dig with solid rock even if it was like some sort of clay cobble mix that you know, could be a mountainside it's still going to take you just forever <laughs> When you all are on the job site, do you ever comment to each other about the earth that you're going to dig through? Like, oh, it's going to be some tough earth here. Or, oh, yeah, no, this is really nice earth that we're digging through today. I would say dirt instead of earth, but yeah. <laughs> it's like commenting on the weather. <laughs> How's the ground? Oh, you know, it's shit over here. So the inside of Snake Mountain has been transformed into a spaceship. It's all teched out, looking crazy. There's some random looking cyborg priests or something in there. Yeah, which is great. So there's acolytes in heavy robes patrolling the hallway. One of them, for some reason, just as they enter, has his hood down so that you can see that half of his face has been replaced with tech like the borg in star trek just some green lines and stuff and then right after that the acolyte with the hood down is like oh shit i'm out of uniform and then like puts <laughs> yeah. the hood back on they keep animating his face as he walks in line too and everybody else is clouded in shade it is not relevant there's no relevance to that man other than to see that they are cyborg acolytes sabacolytes acoborgs <laughs> i like acoborgs <laughs> <laughs> I really like Akaborgs, actually. So Tila and Andra knock out two of the Akaborgs and take their place. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's just typical like Indiana Jones, James Bond thing. You knock out two people and then you steal their, their clothes. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I was impressed by how long they stay in their disguises. I don't know if you remember when He-Man and company visit the moon mine. Oh, uh, yeah, in the slave camp. In the slave camp, they're in a similar situation, and it takes... So they, they quote, sneak in. Uh, it takes all of, like, four seconds for a guard to say, Hey, you, what are you doing? And then He-Man immediately sheds his robe and starts, I don't know, boulder throwing. Yep, no, I'm pretty sure it's exactly what happens. Yeah, they were in... They were in a disguise for much longer. They come upon a central meeting place where Triclops is preaching against magic. Of all of the surprises of this, you know, so far of this series, I guess, Triclops being like a techno priest of some sort of cult, leading some sort of cult, I didn't see that one coming. It's not like Triclops has ever said two words, but like 
Triclops is not in a lot of the... He's in the first episode where we learn that he can see things really well by looking around obstacles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this gamma vision. What sort of vision do you think he uses to like see what the priesthood needs? Or, uh, <laughs> does he have like a five vision that hypnotizes people to listen to his words or something? It's yeah, it's gotta be, but yeah, we don't see Triclops in a lot of the other original masters of the universe episodes, uh, real big play for him taking over the cult. Well, he like founded the cult. So there's some weird stuff going on. We get into some high quality body horror. Like the, there's, uh, some peasant and his child there that they've come to seek help from this cult of techno priests that have holed up in snake mountain. And, uh triclops goes on about the motherboard as like this thing they're worshiping and he pours some weird black shiny techno liquid into the chalice that they're looking for and gives it to this peasant who robotic eye sprouts out of his eye with like a little tentacle stalk and thing and like he just turns into a cyborg pretty horrific stuff it was extremely creepy. And these are the human peasants that you referenced earlier. One of the things, so Triclops is exceptionally bombastic in preaching about the motherboard, yeah. Glory to be we who live and diode in the mighty motherboard. <laughs> I didn't catch that one. There's uh, another one coming up too. They're terrible. Uh, does he, uh, that's when he preaches about the holy sprocket. Yes. His whole monologue is pretty great. Like they, they laid in a lot of techno puns. Like they did. And then as Tila is moving. So the plan is that Tila is going to confront Triclops to make a distraction. And Andra is going to sneak around and grab the goblet. As Tila is approaching Triclops, he uh, really starts laying into Skeletor as well insipid skeletor plan after pitiful plan magic is an empty promise they're leaning really hard into the science tech future which i think is also interesting as a what comparison to tila earlier in the episode talking about how you need to rely on technology over magic which is essentially the same ideology that triclops is you know preaching right now i mean less zealous but same idea yeah, you'd think that they would get along. Yeah, you'd think. But I guess turning people into cyborg horrors is like not, you know, kosher, according to Tila. Yeah, I don't know if she really cares about the peasants. I guess she does go rush to maybe save that little girl or what we think is a little girl. So there are maybe some hints of Tila's altruism. Because the other thing that they play up pretty hardcore is Tila's just focus on getting rich quick by pilfering artifacts and selling them to suckers that are just sort of nostalgically interested in these waning magical relics of the past. Yeah, and it's more about getting by and making her own life and just making her own way. There's no greater moral mission or whatever. So Tila's at attacked by some acolytes while uh, Andra sneaks around. There is a whiplash who his limbs grow really long and he whips at people. 
Like he's kind of a lizard looking dude in his tail. Yeah, whips at people. Then there's also trap jaws there, and some dude who ex- like keeps like thinking he's gonna explode for some reason. I don't know who he is. Which I think was the robot from episode one. The was it disguised as He Man? Yeah, who wraps up the sorceress and then later shoots tentacles out of his arms or something to try to get mm. the sorceress. Speaking of body horror, after Tila and Whiplash fight, Trapjaw's in there, the robot guy's in there, Tila's just beating everybody up. Tila gets some space and runs over to the to the pilgrim's young daughter who's standing kind of at the edge of a cliff and says, oh, I'll save you. Don't worry, we'll get out of here. Oh, it's so creepy. The little girl's head just whips 360 around like it's the exorcist. And then her arms sprout tentacles and she's got this creepy smile. The father-daughter team actually are way more effective than any of the named villains in Masters of the Universe. For sure. The father gets Tila in a headlock. The little girl is, I don't know, being creepy. It looks like it might be all over. And then Ninja Star? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ninja Star. Although Techno Ninja Star. It's an engineered Ninja Star. Yep. Uh, that comes from Andra. A whole half of the fight has gone by before Andra reveals herself, which is uh, really excellent patience on her part. After she saves Tila with the throwing star, Trapjaw almost has her, but showing her engineering prowess, she grabs... Okay, so you drink some black sludge, techno sludge, as a, as a peasant pilgrim trying to make your way into the cult of tech, I guess. Sure, your eyes turn into like robot cameras. The thing that I would not expect is that your whole arm transforms into a giant like two foot diameter buzzsaw yeah and not just like there's a saw at the end of it it like flips out and like flips in when there's no hand on the end of it it's like for what purpose to what end do you have a saw in your arm (laughs) like even as a cyborg like what what use is that uh apart from sawing things you mean yeah yeah i mean i guess there's a utilitarian purpose now he can go be a woodcutter in his village and be the best woodcutter that there is and out compete everybody. So I actually, maybe, maybe I've just talked myself into it. And put all of the manual woodcutters out of a job. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a commentary about industrialization. And yes, regardless, Tila immediately decapitate or not decapitates, dearms, uh, amputates the buzzsaw from that pilgrim. Andra picks it up and in a display of engineering prowess, twiddles some wires together and turns the buzzsaw on right in Trapjaw's face. And they didn't really show it, but was there like a, a blood squelch sound like as it like flipped out? I don't think, did we see Trapjaw after that? No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure she just buzzsawed Trapjaw to death in the face. Wow. I mean, so right after that, uh, the robot who has been just sort of in the mix Uh, previously the robot kind of got hit back into a wall and it started making the high-pitched whirring noise like a thing is about to explode but he pressed some buttons on his chest yeah he like gives his panicked look on his face and starts pressing buttons on his chest and then like breathes a sigh of relief when he doesn't explode but this time before the robot can press the appropriate buttons 
ninja star. So they blow up. Yeah, and like straight up explodes. Not not like Masters of the Universe. There is an explosion, and then you have some of the dark cross hatching cartoon lines to show that you got a little dirty. Like it that robot's body is has exploded. So they are taking no prisoners in He Man Revelations. Tila and Andra run off after the explosion. Andra asks, all right, so you know this place. Where are we going? Going up? Going up? Teal says, no, let's jump down to the bottom of Snake Mountain, where green acid pits uh, kind of surround a narrow walkway that they run across. You get chased by some Akaborgs? Akaborgs. <laughs> trying to remember what we came up with. So they get chased by some Akaborgs, and then somehow... Uh, summons the tentacle monster from the acid pits oh let me tell you how ben oh tell me how truman ninja stars ninja stars so tila grabs some of the throwing stars from andra and starts just like chucking them at the akaborgs also throws some into the green acid pits and summons a large tentacle monster with and i quote uh the battle cry let slip the cogs of war. Mm. And you worried you were worried there wouldn't be best worst jokes in here. Yeah, these are all pretty great. The green tentacle monster erupts from the goo, defeats the Akaborgs, and Tila and Andra run off uh, back to the town. Is and I want to make sure we don't miss this one. Is this when Tila calls them mechalomaniacs? <laughs> I'm glad you were paying attention because I missed that one actually. <laughs> I thought that one was, like, perfect. Yeah, that's good. Majestra appears back in town to pay for the goblet. She talks some shade that only Evelyn would talk to Tila about, like, the past or something, about how they never really took care of it anyways or something. Tila says something about, like, oh, we're done with that place once and for all. And then she says something like, you know, what makes you think you got him this time? You never done it before or something. Yeah, it... <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Majestra offers twice as much again for finishing the mission, which is, she says to steal another goblet from Castle Grayskull. Tila's initially not into it at all. Yeah, because she doesn't want to go back to Castle Grayskull, but somehow becomes this like debate about being part of something greater than yourself, because this is supposed to be pretty important. I don't know if, if not Evelyn, but as Evelyn, like, tries to make it sound like a like a holy mission or whatever or some sort of quest that needs to be done for the safety of the world not at this point she calls the goblet the original goblet just a just a trinket tila asks if it's supposed to have magic power you know or be powerful or whatever and at the time majestra says no it's just sentimental value at this point it just seems like she has some other sentiment attached to the whatever thing is in castle grayskull that they want but doesn't she get, Tila gets convinced to go because Andra wants to be part of something greater than herself and is like, this is something we need to do for the good of something else. So what Andra says is, if that old woman is going to go to Castle Grayskull, which is, I guess, maybe dangerous, uh, it seems like she would need someone to protect her. Or to keep an eye on what she's doing. Yeah, and it's it's that heroism that andra wants to be a part of it doesn't seem at the time like it's part of like saving the world tila doesn't get convinced for that andra's just like 
uh, it seems like someone needs to look out for this woman, and I would like to experience some heroism by protecting her. I guess that's true. Tila still doesn't really give a shit about Majestra. It's mostly the friendship with Andra. Hey, if you're going to go do this, then I guess I'll go too. Also relevant is that the Castle Grayskull has been declared a forbidden zone by King Randor, which you'd think that Tila wouldn't give a crap about the rules that King Randor put down, but it matters to her for reasons. Just highlights that it's dangerous, I guess, to be there. Andra does have a great line when they approach Castle Grayskull. Yeah. Isn't there supposed to be a skull here or something? Uh, that's right, because it's the magic library now or something. Yeah, Castle Grayskull has been turned into the walls look... They're like clear crystal, like semi-translucent crystal. It looks very light, uh, not made out of stone anymore. Yeah, sort of like in the Dark Crystal when at the end of the movie, the oh, spoilers, but the Skeksis and the whatever join up in the castle, the dark, dingy castle that the Skeksis have been living in, like revealed to be this big crystalline palace. Sort of looks like that, except more square. But there is no skull. There is no skull. But there is our old friend, the sorceress. She's there, standing. She looks old now. Time has not been kind to the sorceress. I wonder how long it has been, because how bad it looks, how old she is, or how old she looks informs how dire the situation is. You know, like if it's only been a month and she looks this old, that's not good news, you know? So the sorceress is standing in the middle of Castle Grayskull with like a glowing ball just sort of meditating, it seems like. And she has heavy lines on her face and her hair has started to turn a little gray. I wasn't sure if that was just like the passage of time or if it was a signal about the magic leaving Eternia or both. I think it's more about the magic leaving because she's, I mean, she's Tila's mom, right? So she's, well, I guess you gave birth to her in an egg in a nest. So like (laughs) (laughs) we can't really gauge how old she is off of that, right? yeah yeah they don't say how long it's been and it's really hard to tell tila and andra have some relationship that they've formed yeah so it's been at least a couple like a matter of months if not a year or two it's strong enough that tila is willing i mean she she was extremely pissed at the end of the prior episode finding out about all the secrets that she was not let in on and she you know continues to talk about that this episode so for her to go back to Castle Grayskull, you know, the site of her most painful memory because of her friendship with Andra seems that they would have to have. I mean, you can form, you know, deep bonds pretty quickly, but yeah, but it'll still be at least probably like a year, if not more. Yeah. So Majestra approaches the sorceress, accuses her of hoarding power. And I don't remember what the line is, but it's something like, and what would you know about hoarding power, Evelyn? One of those, uh, which causes Evelyn to transform, show her, show her true form. As she transforms, the goblet also transforms back into the Havoc Staff, which is Skeletor's ram head magic stick. So was it the magic stick, the Havoc Staff transform into a chalice and people were drinking out of it? Or is it like illusion to be a chalice and people were drinking out of it? I do not understand. Because at the end of the prior episode, as people are collecting themselves after He-Man takes all of the power of the universe onto himself or whatever nonsense, 
uh, Evelyn clearly grabs the Havoc staff and then disappears. So how did she lose it? She just left it lying around at the castle. She just like set it down and forget about it. It seems Vic is very important to her. She thinks she wouldn't have let it out of her sight. And would she have let Triclops take over Snake Mountain and turn it into tech mecca? So it seems like an interesting story. But yeah, then did Triclops find the Havoc staff and turn it into a sweet cup? Or did maybe Evelyn disguised it as the sweet cup or transmogrified it into a sweet cup to hide it? And then they started using it for the black tar. Regardless, Evelyn takes the Havoc staff and sort of shoves it against the glowing ball of magic that the sorceress is meditating about. Evelyn has a pretty good line when she approaches the sorceress as well. You look old. I mean, she does. She's not wrong. Evelyn appears to be, it looked like to me at least, draining the power out of the sorceress. Uh, Tila throws her bow staff to try to stop her. And who would appear, which actually is a bigger shocker, but Cringer, who snatches it out of the air, sets it down and says, we don't have time for this, Tila. This next uh, six minutes of the episode was just like back to back. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, oh, yeah. revelations. Ah-ha-ha. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. So Evelyn is trying to help the sorceress. There's a lot of exposition that comes out that Evelyn is like trying to help the sorceress because uh, He-Man took all the power and exploded, whatever. All of the magic on Eternia was taken away, essentially. And they need to like hang on to whatever they can. So they like were combining the magic of Skeletor's Havoc Staff with a little bit of magic that the sorceress was hanging on to. And for some reason, the sorceress then transfers all of her power into the Havoc Staff and loses her bird hat and just kind of looks like a regular gray-haired woman. I would say it's a, a big trust. It is something that Evelyn asks the sorceress if, if she trusts her with this much power or something. And the sorceress says, well, I trust that our interests align. Because it turns out that everyone has to come together to save the magic in order to save Eternia. So the reason that is, is because back in the Big Bang days or whatever, Eternia was the first planet and all of the magic in the universe was bounded to Eternia and was like sourced from Eternia. And when that magic, whatever fizzled out, Eternia started dying. And then from Eternia, the rest of the universe will start dying because there's no magic there. Yeah, Eva Lynn puts on her professor glasses and the class sits down to watch for a few minutes she causes these like huge glowing planets hologram to appear which is actually pretty sweet looking and yeah attorney is the nexus of all space and all time which is a pretty metal phrase oh yeah all right and then this is the this is the wackiest nonsense so the sword of power is the thing that binds the magic to Eternia and also then the magic to the rest of the universe. Cause as you mentioned, if the magic leaves Eternia, then the rest of the universe will wither and die. Like (laughs) I love this too. So imagine, you know, you're staring down the prospect of a literal universe wide apocalypse 
and the metaphor that Evelyn reaches for to try to get across how serious this is to her audience of disbelieving Tila and Andra and Cringer. Uh, she says, the universe will fade and die. Everyone that you've ever known will die. Everything will go into non-existence, like a plant that you forgot to water. It'll wither away. Ah, uh, yeah. It's kind of a lift out at the end of it, you know. There's probably more powerful similes you could make. You would think so, right? But the sort of power is what binds the magic to Eternia, an artifact upon which, again, literally the fate of the universe hangs. And do they keep the sword safe somewhere? No. You know, like, at least, like, put it in the basement of, you know, and forget about it. Now they give it to a stoner and his cat. <laughs> just go have adventures around Eternia with yeah yeah i mean it makes sense of why then you know he man's always the most powerful man in the universe too he's got literally the most powerful artifact in the universe it's insane so they basically assign tila a quest and are trying to get her to go on this quest to find the two halves of the sword of power because when they used it it split in two and they basically have to go to heaven and hell to get it because there's like the heaven half of the sword and the hell half of the sword they have different Master of the Universe names for it. It's like Subternian. Preternia. Yeah, so absorbing all of the power from the event at the first episode has caused the sword to split back into two. So there's some creation myth here that they don't go into a lot of detail about, but apparently there is like Preternia, which is like a heaven, and Subternia, which they call the land of the dead. And for some reason, each of those places... Uh, forged half of a sword and then for some reason they put those two halves together or those two swords together and then for some reason that caused Eternia the world to come into existence and then the rest of the universe and then all of that life force is bound up in the sword that created the universe I guess makes sense that tracks I guess did you catch how the sorceress almost blew her whole plan as she's explaining to Tila why why she should go on this quest. So there's one secret that Tila does not know yet. The sorceress is her mom, right? And the sorceress says, while trying to convince Tila, who is not interested. Nah, she's way over all this. She's like, nah, done. Tila says at one point, well, why do you think that I could even do something like this, like go to literal hell to get a half of a magic sword. And the sorceress says, uh, it's because there's something special about you, Tila. <laughs> and fortunately, she's interrupted before she can like drop another truth bomb on Tila, who like, I can you imagine how would you react at that point? She would just be like, fuck it out. She's like, I am <laughs> done. I was done before. I am more done now. Yeah. I am gone. Are you fucking kidding me? She's going to find out, though, sooner or later, right? Like, that's not, there's got to be more revelations to come, right? <laughs> yeah, and I do not know how they're going to make, how they're going to get Tila to a place where she is okay with learning that information. Her best friend growing up, Prince Adam, turns out to be He-Man. She's not let in on that secret, and it's just the biggest, you know, it causes her to leave the life that she's the only life that she's ever known. Uh, the sorceress has let her grow up without a mom. Yeah. 
when they're literally in each other's lives enough that they know who each other are, like they're they're essentially coworkers, right? Yeah. For their entire lives, never said a single thing. So that will be fun to watch out for. Uh-huh. This whole end is just a, yeah, just a train of revelations. Should be a better. Uh, I think you got to say a little deep of uh, revelations. <laughs> Tila named Cringer. She named Cringer. Oh yeah, like when he was a little kitty. Like Cringer, like is trying to convince Tila to, to get on this quest because Cringer's involved with this now for some reason. He has been like he knew about all this, and he is like dropping wisdom and truth to Tila. And, you know, tells a story about how you named me. He says some shit about how, you know, I'm always afraid, but, like, everybody's afraid. And I know you're afraid because I feel that too or whatever. And what you're feeling now is fear. And you're afraid to go on this quest or whatever, basically. Yeah, Cringer makes some pretty big leaps in entreating Tila to go on the quest. He says not only the stuff about, hey, you're tough exterior is a mask for the fear about your capability in doing this or whatever. He also convinces Tila that, okay, so (laughs) Prince Adam was He-Man and it's a pretty big secret that was kept from you. But didn't Adam give you even more... More trust by trusting you with this, basically? Like, wasn't your bond with Adam even more important than the fact that he was He-Man because he made the sacrifice only because he knew that you would be around to take care of Eternia? Cringer argues that Adam and He-Man trusted Tila with the fate of Eternia because of their bond and that that's more important than the secret. I mean, yes, but not in that way. (laughs) The thing that they shared being protecting Eternia is more important than the secret, but no, not because the trust in her or whatever. It's not from Adam, I guess. I don't know. That seems like a big leap. Yeah. Prince Adam, He-Man may or may not. I mean, he almost certainly would trust Tila with the fate of Eternia because she is the most capable member of the Masters of the Universe. But that's not why he made the sacrifice that he did at the end of the first episode. He made the sacrifice that he did because there was like no other choice. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like a, yeah, I have a different option, but I trust Tila to take care of things since I'll be gone. It's literally everything is going to explode except we have this one, I don't know, the sorceress stops time and now I have a chance to double transform into He-Man and that will save everything for some reason. Although really, he did have another option. He could have hawked it into the sky and let it explode. <laughs> yeah, the time-honored tradition of ensuring that attorney's atmosphere is never not radioactive. But Cringer says that Tila knows what Adam would do. He, he, he answered with, the, what would Adam do, basically? And then she's like, okay, I guess I'm going on a quest. But she's not the only one. No. It's Tila joined by Andra and Evelyn. Yep. And some mysterious figure. Tila turns to the camera and says, I can't imagine us putting together the magical sword without the greatest weaponsmith in Eternia. I wonder who that could be. Find out next week on Revelations. (laughs)
yeah, they cut to a hut in the middle of a wilderness and a mysterious cloaked figure. You see half of uh, half of his face. Spoiler, it's Man of Arms. Man of Arms. <laughs> I guess it wasn't obvious before. So what did you learn? What was the moral of episode two of He-Man Revelations? You know, sometimes when we're out on a walk, we don't really want to look both ways across the street. <laughs> but it's important to be aware of your surroundings before you go across the street. Look both ways and make sure you hold hands of your buddy so that nobody gets hit by a car. And this is pretty well supported by the spatial awareness PSA that they give every time they have a fight sequence in He-Man. They do? Yeah. Uh, the only reason that Teela is able to survive is because she looks, you know, both ways during the fight. Yes. Watches out for the throwing stars that are coming from all directions. Stays aware of, aware of her surroundings. Yeah, I think it's either that or it's something... There's like some double meaning to disguising yourself and how it never works because people will always see through to the real you or your real self will always come out. Uh, and this is Evil Lynn's continued failure to disguise herself as an old crone and uh, Tila's failure to disguise her uh, internal fear at the concept of having to quest for the magic swords. Do you think they knew the whole time that it was uh, Evelyn, like I did, like when they went to go get the chalice? Because they knew, like they knew very strongly at the end when they were in Catholic Grace School. Like they, they knew, right? Yeah. Do you think they knew and didn't care? That's part of why Andra like told her, "Hey, we should go," because she shouldn't be left alone in Castle Grace School. So I think that Tila knew the whole time, and I think that it underscores how over it Tila is. Evelyn appears in a disguise. Tila, in her mind, is just, I, I don't, I don't, what the fuck are you, I don't care what you're doing with your little disguise. It's like another stupid game, another stupid plot. Uh, but you're going to give me a bunch of rubies or whatever, techno jewels for stealing the chalice. Like, that's fine. I don't know if Andra knew as well. Yeah. I just think it makes it make more sense that they went to Castle Grayskull with her. And why Andrew is like, I want to be part of something and I want to make sure like something this is goes right. Because if it's just an old lady going to Castle Grayskull, it's like whatever. Or I guess if you're just going to Castle Grayskull, you don't need to go with this lady. Yeah, Eternia is a hellhole and peasants die all the time. So what's another old woman? Yeah. Says Andra uh, before deciding to be heroic. Where do you think we're at on the hero's journey for Tila? So she's accepted the quest now, right? Are we at like the no turning back? I don't remember the exact. It's seven steps. Uh, refusal is a big part. And Tila did that until she was convinced by Cringer. All right. The call to adventure. The refusal of the call. Super, supernatural aid. Uh, the crossing the first threshold and then the belly of the whale. Well, there's a, there's a bunch of different ones. So there's departure, initiation, and return. Hold on. Wow. There's a lot of different versions of this, actually. But there is very commonly this threshold between the known and the unknown, and it's the crossing of the threshold that's that's totally going into subturnia and or preturnia. And then there's like mentor and helper along with the challenges, and that's totally gonna be Duncan. Orko is gonna show up at a pivotal moment to help. Oh yeah. 
What's going on with him? He's like made of magic. Yeah. Do you think he's okay right now, or is he like super sick? Sick or like wispy or something? Yeah, I don't know. Cause he's from a different astral zone, right? <laughs> uh, but that magic is funneled through Eternia, so all the magic of the universe comes from Eternia, the wellspring of magic. Yeah. Do you think it is taking time for it to flow out of the other places in the universe? I guess it's like just trickling away from everywhere right now because it's not focused. And then where is it going? I mean, come on, conservation of energy here, like you can't destroy power. So I guess Eternia was the conduit for all of it. And so like it was contained in whatever river of magic that flowed out into the universe, right? Like the many branches of Yggdrasil, the world tree, or like, you know, it goes off into all the other planes and all the other planets and all that stuff from the root of it at Eternia. So once that is broken, it's just kind of dissipating off everywhere and not being focused into all these other places. Or I guess if the two halves of the swords of power went back to Praternia and Subternia, which I cannot get over how dumb those names are uh maybe all the magic is just is returning to those two places yeah instead of flowing out into the universe yeah and that is the power that sustains life i guess i don't know the creation myth is exceptionally attorney centric how self-important does it make you sound to say we live on the planet that is the root of the entire universe Hmm. and our goofy ass hero carries the sword that is the thing that binds all life in the whole universe together maybe uh maybe what this is is just a power play like who says that the magic is dissipating maybe it is collecting on another planet or Mm. set of planets and Really, the sorceress is worried about Eternia losing its power dominance in the universe or galaxy or whatever. I mean, the creation myth even sounds pretty lazy. Uh, you live on Eternia, huh? So where what what was before Eternia? Uh, pre-Eternia? <laughs> yeah, they didn't really, uh, they really went with the first thing that came to their heads with that one. <laughs> You know, I will say, though, He-Man Revelations has all the shit that I want to see happening in a He-Man cartoon. Yeah. It's like the, the sweet technology. It's the, you know, what happens when the bad folks have to team up with the good folks dynamic. It's got the ninja stars. <laughs> it has excellent, excellent puns around whatever... It's happening. We have not seen hide nor hair of Ram Man. It's true. It's true. And I mean, Tila spends a good portion of the episode bitching about the very things that like we've pointed out about the show, about how it's just this eternal lock of good versus evil for like no reason and no nothing ever gets resolved. Basically complaining about the nature of a Saturday morning cartoon that she <laughs> used to live in. Uh, yeah, it's pretty self-aware. It's great. I don't know. Do you got anything else? Uh, I do not. Well, make sure to tell your friends those important secrets that you really should have told them about years ago or else they will 
find out and leave your life forever, dear listeners. Make sure you share your revelations. (laughs) And we will see you next time on the Attorney Review.